Nav, thanks, David and Joe, and especially Eli. Thanks for leading us, guys, and leading us in worship. Um, really quickly, just so you know, midweek, as Neville's already said, just uh, if you're preparing for that, it's Genesis 2, 3, and 4. Um, and, uh, and if I can also say this, that like this is, this is uh, the book that we handed out to you is, um, it's a conversation starter. It's not a book that we're saying, here you go, this is what you need to believe about Genesis from here on out. Um, we really value, we really value the thoughts, the opinions, and the of of everybody, and so we are really grateful that we get a chance to to stir some conversation as we engage faithfully and healthfully with Scripture, and uh, and so we need everyone to participate in that. We love that uh, we get the chance to do that. Um, and then another thing really quickly is that tonight for the P7s and upwards, we're meeting with our friends at the Methodist uh, at 6.30, finishing at 8 to be home in time for the second half of the England-Senegal game. Um, today, is, as Neville's already said, uh, it's the second Sunday of Advent. Um, as I mentioned last week, we're following, the, we're following along with the, the lectionary and last week was Isaiah chapter 2. So if you have your Bible or your phone, we're in Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. But first of all, I want to tell you about something that happened yesterday, walking through the village. There was a bizarre thing happened. I was walking along the village, and this boy was walking along with this new gate. And it was, it was a beautiful gate, really beautiful gate. And he, came, he approached me and said, do you want this? He was offering me this new gate for free. I couldn't believe it. This beautiful new gate for free. And I was like, what's the catch? And he says, it's that little bit that opens and closes it. Oh, no, no, this one's just, this one's just filtering through. Isaiah chapter 11, let me read the first 10 verses of Isaiah chapter 11. Um, and the boys at the back, if you want to put up that first image, we can just have it. Uh, before us as we read through this. Uh, oh, sorry, you can even have that. Wow. No, keep that up. That's good. A shoot shall come out from the stalk, the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Uh, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. With righteousness, he shall judge the poor or bring justice to the poor. And to decide with equity for the meek of the earth, he shall strike the earth with the word of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist. And faithfulness the belt around his loins. Verse 6. The wolf shall live or lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lay down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. 
and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the snake, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In verse 10, on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal or a banner, a flag to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him or rally to him and his dwelling shall be glorious. And so, there we go. Thank you. This is the, this is the image. This is something of the image that Isaiah sees. A stump, stump of a tree. And so as we talked about last week, as we engaged with what we, what we felt like we, uh, Isaiah was, was reimagining, we said the prophets were reimagining the world in 700 years before Jesus. Before Jesus was born, Isaiah began to imagine a world where weapons would be turned into garden tools where people would, would make the world a, a, a garden rather than a battlefield. And here again, we have Isaiah doing something similar. He begins um, to reimagine a world when this, when, this, um, when this expected one, when this Messiah would come. Isaiah did not yet know, know his name he did not know when he was going to come. We are, have the benefit today of knowing that it was Jesus and knowing that when he would come, getting glimpses of what that now means and what that looks like. And so here is the opening of this image that Isaiah begins to paint of a stump. And so I don't know what comes to your mind. Maybe it's, maybe it's too early in the morning. Maybe there's nothing coming to your mind. But for me, as I look at this, I see something that is dead. I see something that once was fruitful, that at one stage bore fruit. At one stage was a shelter for the birds of the air. One stage bore fruit that people could come and eat from and people could shelter under. And Isaiah is living in a time where, um, where the expectation all along had been that from the line of David, this is, this is the root of Jesse. Jesse is David's, um, David's father. And the expectation all along, we could, we could go to so many places in the scripture to say that there, there will never fail to be someone from the line of David sitting on the throne there will never fail to be a king from the root of Jesse that will take their place as king of the nation. But in Isaiah's time, it has failed. In Isaiah's time, what was expected to bear fruit, what was expected to bring shelter and confidence to the people has now been cut down. It is a stump. It's no longer... A tree, it is no longer bearing fruit. And so at the time of Isaiah, this line, 
that we're talking about, the line of Jesse, the stock of Jesse, or the root of Jesse, whatever your version says, is failed. It's a stump. It's lifeless. Hope has been dashed. Hope has been extinguished. The situation that the people face is dead and it's lifeless. And I suppose it's one of the, that song that David, David led us in this morning, speaking about the, the storms of, of life. And, and maybe there's situations that, are, that we're facing in this room this morning that feel dead and feel lifeless. But I'm so grateful for this image that Isaiah begins to paint for us. I should be grateful for the world that Isaiah begins to reimagine for us because out of this stump, out of that which is, seems hopeless and is dead and lifeless, a shoot begins to appear. A shoot that Isaiah didn't know his name. He didn't know when he would come, but we now know the seven years, hundred years after Isaiah began to reimagine a world, Jesus would be born. The shoot of Jesse would come and hope would begin to hope would begin to stir again. What, what seemed, what situations seemed like dead and lifeless, the shoot of Jesse reminds us that the story is not over. There's a part of me almost would love by the, through the eyes of faith to be able to say that to each one of us this morning. Not in some sort of emotionally driven way, but those areas that where situations feel like they're dead and they're lifeless, Jesus is come and Jesus is here. There is a shoot. There is, there is promise of life. There is promise of hope. There is the assurance that the story is not over yet. And even the, story, the song that David, David led us in at the end, one day, one day, and so where it feels like hopeless and lifeless and dead, sing that song with faith to say, but one day, Thank you, Jesus, that the story is not over. And that's why it's beautiful that we've, I suppose, that we've lit the candle of faith today. Not that it's going to do anything magical, but that it's going to stir something within us. Faith to believe that the story is not over. Faith to believe that all is not lost. And so I know we're speaking to a time 700 years ago, but I'm, or more than that, 700 years before Jesus. But I also think it applies to for us today. And he's with us and he's for us in a way to remind us that all is not lost, that the story is not over. And so let's, begin, let's go back and see this world, see this person that Isaiah is imagining will come, what will happen, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Again, he doesn't know his name, he doesn't know when he will come. But whoever he is, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh, not the right pronunciation, I know, the Spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. He'll be anointed with wisdom and understanding, with counsel and might. And then we get this, we get this picture, we get this, um, we get this, this language that Isaiah uses Tell us how his reign, this expected one, this anticipated one who the Spirit will come upon, this shoot coming from the stump of Jesse, 
He's, he's beginning to explain to us, he's beginning to paint a picture of what will his reign look like? What will it look like when he comes? What will be the things that will stand out? What will be the things that will mark the reign of this shoot that is coming from the line of Jesse? What will set it apart? And here we find out he will bring justice to the poor and he will bring fairness. He will make decisions for the exploited. That's what's going to set him apart. That's what's going to mark the reign of this king that we now know is Jesus, the anticipated one. And in Isaiah's time, this was, this, was, this was huge. This was major news. Because in Isaiah's time, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Poor were getting poorer. Injustice was everywhere. There was so much injustice. It was rife. It was there was injustice economically, as the rich were getting richer. There was justice. There was injustice politically, as the courts were favoring the rich. They were favoring those with status, with prestige. There was there was injustice socially. Those that had less were were were, were treated so poorly. Were treated so badly. And maybe we still see signs of that today. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. There is injustice that is everywhere. And that is what is to mark the reign. That is what is to mark the rule and the reign of King Jesus. And I love Isaiah. I become so engrossed in this idea, of, this idea of the world that Isaiah is reimagining for us. And so if we were to go back to Isaiah chapter 1, which I think we've been before, um, he talks about it like he opens up this prophetic letter. He opens up this reimagining of the world that would look like when this anticipated one would come. And he says, oh, see all of this, these, all these rituals, all these routines, all of these Sabbaths, all of these things that you're trying to offer to please me, they're, they're, they're useless, they're pointless. Because what, is it, what, is, what does it mean to do good? What does it mean to follow the way of this king? What does it mean to be part of the rule and reign of this kingdom? It's to, it's to defend the widow, to stand for, to defend the orphan and to plead for the widow, to rescue the oppressed. That's what he's, that's what he's after. That's what marks the rule and reign of this king. And then Isaiah gives us this, this image of, um, paints this picture of a wee bit more of what this is going to look like. And if you listen to Ash doing our Advent reading this week, I think it was Thursday or Friday, um, I got him to send me through his notes. And so if you've listened to Ash's reading, you're going to hear much of it again because I just loved it. I just loved it because I wanted, really just wanted to say zoomorphism here on a Sunday morning. Cool word. Zoomorphism. So in Ash's reading, he talks about that is what Isaiah, that is, the, that is what Isaiah is, is using here, where he imagines the human world as the animal kingdom. And we see that, that that's everywhere in the Bible. We see it, in, we see it in Micah and Daniel, and we see it at the end in Revelation where... Um, where 
we imagine human, the human world and human behavior uh, as, as the animal kingdom. Um, and so in the reading that Ash gave us, uh, the author of that book talked about Robin Hood, um, the cartoon version of Robin Hood where Robin Hood, is, a, is he a fox? All right. And uh, all of these different characters within the story of Robin Hood are different animals. He says that's what's, that's what's going on here with, with Isaiah. Imagines the human world as the animal kingdom. And so for me, one of the things that, that uh, sometimes gets me into deep discussions and deep debate is when we literalize parts of the Bible that cause us to miss the point. And so we literalize what's going on here. If we literalize, if we think this is what the kingdom is going to look like, an actual lion lying down with an actual lamb, we're missing the whole point of the world that Isaiah is reimagining. See, Isaiah is concerned, not just in this poem or in this prophecy, but the whole way through. It's littered through the whole way through his prophetic words. He's so concerned with how we treat the poor so concerned with how we defend those who are facing injustice. He's concerned, um, he is more concerned with those, with, with these things around uh, those who are exploiting those who face injustice. Trying to show us, he's trying to remind us, he's trying to stir within us that it is not okay for human beings created in the image of God to behave beastly. Again, this language that was in that reading that Ash gave us. It is not okay for human beings created in the image of God to behave beastly. Not okay for human beings created in the image of God to treat the poor and the vulnerable badly. So this is the world that Isaiah is in. This is what he has seen. This is what is the norm for the people at this time. And he's encouraging them, he's reminding them, he's beginning to paint a picture of, it, of this shoot that will come up. This shoot that will change everything. And we see again in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord will come upon this anointed one. The spirit of the Lord will come upon this anticipated one and he will bring hope. He will bring good news to the poor. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we see that in Jesus. We see Jesus live that out. We see Jesus, uh, this shoot, the shoot of Jesse. Jesus began to fulfill what Isaiah had reimagined uh, centuries before. Where the poor would be seen. Where the oppressed would be heard. Where injustice would be confronted. And so Christmas we're still waiting. We're still in the season of Advent, but Christmas is the celebration of this king. Christmas is the celebration of this king that Isaiah anticipated. And again, what I loved about the reading that Ash gave us this week was that if, this is, if what Isaiah is saying is true, the shoot will come up. And if we are confessing today that that is Jesus, we're confessing that this shoot is, in fact, Jesus. Then the lion already does lie with the lamb. 
all of these things, all of these pic this picture that Isaiah painted for us, if Jesus has come, well then the land already lies with the lamb. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when you hear that, I don't know if it automatically in your mind you're thinking, really? Does it? Like, that's not what I see in my news. And maybe, maybe I need to turn off the news for a while. Because I think there is, and, and, and in, that, in that reading, uh, we're told about Zacchaeus, this beast, this beast that devoured and exploited the vulnerable. This beast that took more than he should have from the, from the poor and the, and the marginalized. And he encounters Jesus. He encounters Jesus and then poetically, the land lies with the lamb because he, he commits himself to paying back all that was, all that he had stolen, all that he had exploited. And in fact, he went even further for those places that, that I've caused so much injustice, I'll pay back four times. And so the author of the devotional says that the lion does lie with the lamb and, and goes on to talk about Paul. He was a beast. He was a lion who devoured, was devouring the people of God. He was devouring the flock. Has this encounter with Jesus. And then we do have the picture of the lion lying with the lamb becomes a lamb and this one who devoured is now, now lies with the lamb and in fact becomes a shepherd of the flock. And then I think we could, we could take, there, there are stories that I'm sure we could testify of that we've heard. We've maybe sat with people, I've sat with the most remarkable people in Rwanda, those who devoured and tortured and acted beastly, in the most beastly ways you could possibly imagine towards fellow human beings. Horrible, horrible stories. They've encountered Jesus. They've encountered something in, in the most miraculous way. And those that faced the injustice, they have forgiven in the most remarkable way. That now in parts of Rwanda, the lion lies with the lamb. Those that cause such injustice now sit in church buildings with those who caused such oppression. We see signs of that. We see stories. I think we brought Homero up or we, we, we could hear stories of that across the Middle East where, where the lion is laid down with the lamb. So those that behave beastly after an encounter with Jesus has changed everything. At the end of Ash's reading, um, it says this, in Christ, Isaiah's dream comes true and the lion really does lie down with the lamb. If the world is still dangerous because, if the world is still dangerous because human predators behaving basely towards the vulnerable, it is because the earth is not yet full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so we continue to pray, and this is what he prays, Lord Jesus, we long for the day when your knowledge covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, so that at long last the lion will lie down with the lamb. As John the Revelator foresaw, may the peaceable kingdom of the lamb prevail 
over the beastly kingdoms of this age. Amen. I lo so love that. And so the last verse, the last verse says that on that day, he still didn't know when it would be. The root of Jesse, he still didn't know what his name would be. Will stand as a banner to all the peoples, and all of the nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And I don't know what it, give me some license here. I don't know whether, how much license I'm using here, how much uh, slack I'm taking. But I think this is, if we want, if we believe that, if we're saying what, uh, at the end of this devotional, that if the beastly, if the beastly behavior is still going on, we're still seeing that, it is because the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is not yet covered as the waters have covered the sea. And so it asks, begs the question, well, what is our response to this? What is our response to this? And I think that verse 10 speaks of something about the call of the church. I think it's the call of the church to, to all that we've shared, all that we've talked about, is to raise that banner. To raise that banner where we're going to, in the same way that this anointed one defended the cause of the poor and the vulnerable. The same way that this one, this anointed one, this root of Jesse, this shoot, this shoot from the root of Jesse, confronted injustice, that the church would continue to raise that banner. The church would continue to fly that flag as a signal to all peoples, as it says here. And that the nations would inquire. The nations would inquire of him. And his dwelling shall be glorious. There's something about that. Even what Isaiah. Even though Isaiah is painting that picture. Reimagining that world. Um, 700 years. Until till Jesus came. There's still something about that verse. Even today. Stirs me to reimagine what it would be like to be a church that raised the banner, that flew the flag, that anybody that's facing injustice, anybody that is feeling marginalized, anybody that is feeling oppressed because of their economic, political, social status, that they would know that there's a place that is flying the flag, that is raising the banner as a signal to all peoples. Something about that that stirs something within me. And sometimes we've we have a funny, almost don't want to say it, but we have a funny history with flags and banners. And sometimes with banners and flags have been used to condemn and they've been used to judge. What would it be like for us to, to stand as a banner? A banner of love and mercy and righteousness and justice. Lay down any, any inkling of a, any sort of banner that would promote condemnation or judgment or hate. A banner that would draw people. A banner that even all of the nations would inquire. And that again, that picture was of the church, his dwelling. His dwelling will be glorious. And I think it's 
his dwelling is glorious when we live out in the same way that this anticipated Christ, this anticipated King, how he would come and change everything, how he would come and turn everything on his head. And that we as his followers, we as his image bearers would take up that challenge, almost want to say responsibility to do the same. Let me pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. I thank you for those prophets your spirit rested upon to reimagine the world as you longed for, as you intended. So, Spirit of God, we, we know that this is where we are heading towards Christmas. And we want Christmas to be a time where we celebrate the coming of this anticipated one. We want Christmas to be a time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But boy, we, we want to live faithfully in, the, in this Advent season. We want to wrestle. Even though maybe we want to rush to celebration. Even though we maybe want to rush to the gifts and the feeding and the parties. God, we want to sit with some of the brokenness. We want to sit with some of the injustice. We want to take up the responsibility that we would raise the banner that all peoples would be drawn. But the same spirit that anointed Jesus is on us. The spirit that anointed Jesus was to bring hope to the poor, was to confront all situations of injustice. Was to come and, and even in the places of hopelessness and lifelessness and death, to remind everyone that the story is not over, that all is not lost. And so Jesus, we confess and we recognize that what we are reading about and what we have seen in Isaiah's prophecy is you. what you what was promised of you and what you fulfilled but we see that as calling or responsibility to follow through and what you initiated on how you turn things upside down and pray that we would continue to do the same in Jesus' name, amen.